This podcast makes no representations. None of this constitutes advice and your home or property may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Hello and welcome to Not Another Mortgage Podcast. Myself and the bearded broker, Lewis Shaw, the mortgage nerd, is with us. Um, We've not done this for a while, but we are back with a bang and we're going to be talking today about remortgaging and why the meme is wrong. Lewis, hello. Hi, mate. How are you? It's been a while, isn't it, after our our, our summer hiatus? Yeah, Um, well, we all need a break, don't we? And, uh, you know, we... Well, well, apparently you need 12. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, that's because I have a fantastic financial expert and save lots of money. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't have one, and uh, I just go camping a lot. Anyway, um, so, Lewis, today we are talking about remortgaging. So let's start with the obvious question then. What is a remortgage? Sure. So, <clears throat> so remortgaging is basically where you move from lender A to lender B. So you've borrowed money with lender A initially, you bought your home, um, you borrowed how much ever that might have been, £100,000, for example, just as a, as a round figure. And then in five years' time after, say, your initial five-year deal expired, if that's the deal you had, then after that five years, you might have £90,000 left on your mortgage, and you then remortgage to another lender onto a better deal, hopefully. Not that's always the case, but hopefully that's the way it should go. Um, and basically, you take advantage of a better deal because you've got a, a, a better loan to value, i.e. the proportion of money that you're borrowing against the value of your home. Uh, you have more equity, therefore you're less of a risk, which is why uh, over time, most people, not always, but most people end up with better deals over the time that they've got a mortgage because they are they are less of a risk. And of course, a bank or a building society uh, have uh, more security in the fe- in the sense that if they need to repossess that property, they're definitely going to get their money back, which is why when there's more equity in a home, you get a better interest rate because the risk is 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 lessened uh, to the lender in terms of, they're, they're always thinking about if we have to repossess this property, are we going to get our money back? Which is why 95% mortgage rates are the highest and why at 60% and lower, they're the lowest. It's because of the risk that is deemed um, by the lender, the chance of, you know, so if you've got a 5% deposit in a home um, and let's say there's a bit of a blip in the, the property market for whatever reason, might be Brexit or COVID, uh, where house prices did take a bit of a dip um, at the start of COVID, um, if a lender had to then try and repossess you, of course, they could be in the position where the value of the mortgage exceeds the value of the home. And of course, as equity builds up, that risk diminishes over time. And that's why you get a better deal. So basically, remortgaging is just moving from lender A to lender B, ideally, to get a better deal. Um, That's what remortgaging is in a nutshell. See, my inexperienced brain thought remortgaging was about getting extra cash. So remortgaging a home because you need more money for something and and you see it as a long-term investment. Or I know people borrow against a mortgage to buy a new car or or something along those lines. So that's is is that a different type of remortgaging or is it basically the same thing but for a different reason? So it's still a remortgage, but there's various kinds. There's capital raising remortgaging, which is what you've mentioned there where you might raise additional money because your equity has gone up uh, and you want to refurbish your home, redo the kitchen, uh, you know, 
um, sort the garden out. It could be that you wanted to put an extension on that kind of thing. That's, so that's a capital raising remortgage. Uh, it could be that you've got debt that you wanted to consolidate because perhaps you've bought a home, you spent money doing the home up on, on credit cards or on loans, and you now want to consolidate that debt into the mortgage. That's a debt consolidation remortgage. It could be that it's just a straight pound for pound, um, like for like, a remortgage. It could be that it needs to be for business purposes. So, for example, that you wanted to either uh, invest into a business, um, or it could be that you wanted to raise capital to supply you with a deposit for a buy-to-let mortgage so you could start a property portfolio. So there's lots of variations of what you can do with a remortgage, and not every lender does every type. And there are, I would, I would suspect there is there are more rules around the quirks of remortgaging when it comes to, for example, debt consolidation or capital raising. There's more policy around that than there are a lot of other bits and bobs in, in, in the mortgage world and the property world. Uh, because... So, for example, when it comes to debt consolidation, uh, there are very strict. So, I should say, it's not appropriate for everyone. This is so debt consolidation is classed as high risk by the Financial Conduct Authority, and that's because you're reducing your equity stake in your property um, in order to secure unsecured finance against it. Whereas, and I know this is kind of seems a bit odd in the sense that, well, if you're wanting to raise money to build an extension. They they don't apply the same rules. I know it seems weird, but it's just one of the quirks of of, of the the industry that I work in. Um, so you are right. There are various uh, different types of, of remortgage, but fundamentally, it's moving from a lender A to a lender B. Now, that said, it's not always to do something. So <clears throat> here's the big thing. The reason I wanted to do a podcast on this is because a lot of people, it's like most things. Um, Let's take utility providers. Let's take um, television and media providers. Let's take car insurance providers. We're always told, aren't we, by people like uh, financial gurus, uh, Martin Lewis or The Money Show on, on Radio 4, or whoever it might be, um, that we need to compare the market or whatever it might be. And, and you know, so shop around for your car insurance, shop around and, and, and uh, you know, do the, do the switch for your utilities to get a, a better deal. Although that, Currently, might be a bit tricky with what's going off with in in the you in in the kind of wholesale energy markets at the minute. But generally, you know, we're told to not have any kind of loyalty, to have a look around uh, and see if we can save a bit of money. Whether that be on home insurance, car insurance, pet insurance, um, utilities is a big one. Mobile phones, you know, television and, and and media providers, that kind of stuff. And there seems to be a lot of talk. There's always a lot of stuff on the TV, isn't there? You know, you go on the TV and you can generally say over the course of a week, you will see an advert telling you to switch utilities provider or to switch to a different bank and they'll give you a hundred quid um, back for, for moving to a different bank account. And do you know what I mean? But remortgaging um, seems to be the forgotten brother and the big brother of that, because actually all those other kind of things, the car insurance, the home insurance, all that, all those, you know, the utility bills. We're talking about saving potentially 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds, maybe, you know, if you're lucky uh, over the course of potentially a year, maybe maybe 150 pounds over the course of a year. Whereas remortgaging, so, so what happens is after your initial period, whether that be on a fixed rate or a tracker or a discount variable rate or whatever it might be, after that, you roll onto what's called the standard variable rate, uh, or SVR is, is the jargon. And that's the lender's internal profitable rate. 
Um, and so for major high street banks, it, it, you know, like the likes of kind of um, nationwide Barclays, these kind of boys, uh, it's, it's generally about 3.59 currently. I don't really want to get into talking about interest rates because there's a lot of compliance goes around with it, but that's where they're about. So um, some lenders are, are higher. I think I think the average is, is about, you know, um, the average offered by lenders is about three and a half percent. The highest is about six. And that it, so after your initial deal ends, your payments then revert to the standard variable rate and almost invariably rise by quite a chunk. Now, there's a lot of people, I mean, in, in terms of um, statistics and all that, you know, I love a statistic, but apparently at least one in four mortgage holders are, are, are on the standard variable rate and are needlessly losing money every month by paying like the maximum interest. And it could be actually more. It could be as actually as high as one in two. It's difficult to get the kind of accurate data on this. Um, and yet, interest rates are incredibly low right now. Um, you know, we had the spike because of COVID, but they've come down recently. And it, as, as a result, you know, homeowners may be paying upwards of, of, of four thousand pounds over the odds. And yet, on the TV, you're seeing constantly things about, you know, change from this gas provider to this gas provider and that electric provider to this one. And, and you know, oh, we can save you, you know, £25 a year on your pet insurance. And yet, <clears throat> actually, the biggest one is always going to be a mortgage. But, and, that, and that's obvious, really. It should be obvious. It's the biggest debt you have over the longest period of time you're likely to, 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 to take a debt out. And therefore, of course, if, if you're, you know, if, if you're the type of person that would shop around for, car insurance and and all those other kind of things to, to save yourself some money, you should start with the mortgage. You know, it's this kind of do the thing that gives you the biggest and best return. Now, if you start off by, you know, remortgaging and then you're saving potentially, I mean, these are averages. It's not going to be the same for everyone, but, you know, the average is, 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 is potentially £4,000 a year. I mean, if someone came along and went, I'm going to give you a pay rise of four grand a year. Now, now bear in mind that four grand a year pay rise net would actually be in terms of a pay rise gross would you know if you're taking into account of tax and now Boris's national insurance hike would probably be um maybe I don't know uh, a pay rise of perhaps six or seven K on your actual basic income depending on where you sit generally. So actually that's a lot of money four grand a year um as I say is the average and that would be a brilliant one brilliant holiday a couple of decent holidays it could be 10 weekends away it could be upgrading to a new car. It could be all these other things that you want to do with your life, you know, um, that you're not doing. Or it could just be actually you can get rid of your mortgage by taking account of remortgaging when you need to, getting the deals when they're at their best and, and always paying attention to that. Then you could actually find yourself paying off that mortgage far sooner, um, you know, rather than fiddling about at the margins of your kind of financial priorities, worried about your gas bill that's gone up by... Fifteen pounds when your mortgage has gone up by one hundred and eighty, but there seems to be—I don't know why—apathy um, among people, and I think sometimes it's either a lack of education or a, or a confusion. Um, but of course, it's not—it's not necessarily in lenders' interests to start blasting all across the TV. Come to us and get a better deal because if if one starts doing it, they all start doing it. And of course, when you're on the standard variable rate, you're a very very profitable customer to that particular lender. So you know, if 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 I'd got you know someone was making me money, would I say, well, you know, no, go and do something else because it's in, you know 
it's in your best interest. It's not, you know, but it's going to make me less money that you wouldn't necessarily do that. And so that's probably, I don't know if that's the reason why, but it's probably a reason why it's not really shouted about. I mean, does it not seem odd to you that people won't take action over the, the biggest saving they could do? And yet think of how frustrated people are when they see that the car insurance has gone up by 50 pounds and yet they never check or what, well, a lot of people don't check what deal their mortgage is on, you know, the, the 50 pounds car insurance a month. Well, that's dwarfed if you're paying, you know, 200 pounds, 300 pounds a month more than you need to be on your mortgage. It just seems mm. a bit daft. I don't, I don't know why, why there's not more noise about this, but as I say, it's people probably... not, perhaps so just on that subject, there's always a lot of warnings about if you change, you know, if you change your mortgage or pay back loans early and that sort of thing that you can be charged, um, a, a huge fine in essence. I know it's not officially called a fine, but you know, uh, a, a one-off payment because you've broken that deal. So perhaps the people sort of, when it comes to a mortgage, think it's not worth the hassle of paying somebody to have a look into it to tell me, that there is a better deal, but then by the time I've paid them and I've paid whatever charge the bank are charging me for changing my mortgage, when you offset it off the, the monthly savings, it's probably not worth it. Is that perhaps what's happening? It might, Well, and that, this is perhaps where the confusion is, yes. So people may think that's the case, but it often isn't. So, so of course, you only have, in terms of the fine you're talking about, in the industry, they're known as ERCs, early redemption charges, early redemption penalties. So that's where, for example, let's say you've had a deal for five years, fixed for five years, and within that initial five-year term, a bit like any other contract, if you wanted to come out of that contract, you are breaking that contract and therefore there's a penalty. So typically with mortgage lenders, if you're on, for example, a five-year deal, it might be that in the first year, it starts off at, at a at a, at a at a redemption penalty of 5% of the value of the loan in the second year, four in the third year, three in the second, in the, in the fourth year, two in the final year, 1%. Now after that um, 60th month in your five-year deal, where you're outside of your initial deal, there wouldn't be any redemption penalties payable. So if you're sat on the standard variable rate, there won't be any redemption pay charges payable to, to move lender. There may be what's called a ceiling fee, um, or a deed release fee, or, or a kind of a redemption uh, cost to leave the mortgage lender, but that generally is in the order of kind of fifty, sixty pounds, ninety pounds. I know that one lender in particular charges a fee of two hundred and twenty-five pounds. That's only it's a very specific lender, but most of them have very low. If you're not within a deal, they have very, very low fees for actually moving from them. As I say, as an average, call it a hundred pounds. You know, it's not going to be the same for everyone, but as an average. So actually, um, if you're on the standard variable rate, then the likelihood is, is that you will almost invariably be save, save money by remortgaging. Um, and the costs are probably far lower than you assume. So here's a typical scenario. Remortgage customers for lenders are great because of, of a couple of reasons. One, you've already got a mortgage. So that means that you, you're already, you, you know, as long as you've conducted yourself appropriately through that period of time, you've made all your payments, the chances are your credit file is going to be in a good position. If you're remortgaging, the chances are, unless you're borrowing money or, you know, and wanting to kind of consolidate debt or all that kind of stuff. If it's going for, you know, I owe 100K and I just want to move that 100K to, to, to a better deal. The chances are that you've built up some equity. The chances are that, um, 
as I say, you've got a stable track record of paying the mortgage. Uh, and also, um, the chances are that your home has risen in value. So all these things taken together means that for, for a, a new mortgage lender, a remortgage customer is, is really is, is, a, is, a, is a great customer, which is why um, a lot of... So deals lenders' deals vary between first-time buyers, home movers, and remortgaging. Not all lenders. Again, it's it's a this is a problem with my job is that there's always a there's always a variation somewhere. But as a general rule of thumb, remortgage deals tend to be some of the cheapest on the market, and that's because you're generally a good quality borrower. Um, there's a there's an established track record. There's equity in your property. Um, you know all these things that are going for you, and as a consequence of that, because lenders want to attract good quality, low risk or lower risk. Um, borrowers, not to mention that they don't have to mess about with all the legal stuff because that's been done recently by someone else. Uh, the ownership of, of the property is not changing, so you know, although it can do in some circumstances, but generally it's not. And so, therefore, most lenders again, not all, but most lenders on a remortgage, there won't be a valuation fee. Most lenders won't have upfront fees, depending on the size of the loan, that can change. Most lenders, well, decent ones anyway will potentially give an element of cash back. So as an incentive to to kind of, you know, for, for thanks for doing the deal, um, it might be that you do the deal and you'll get £500 cash back. A lot of lenders will offer you free legal services, so there's no cost there. So actually, the cost of moving from lender A to lender B can... So I charge a fee of 499 right? That's, that's over my website. That's not hidden anywhere. Generally, if it's a straightforward like for like, pound for pound remortgage, the likelihood is is that someone can do that with free valuation, free legal services, and potentially get £500 cash back, which covers the cost of me, so move from lender A to lender B without it really actually costing them a bean is the reality. And this is where perhaps the confusion and the education isn't there. You know, Because why would it be? Most people aren't mortgage advisors. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know the technicalities of this. And it's not their job to, it's my job to. The problem well, is, often, of course... How often would you recommend people look at changing their mortgage? Because it's not something that they're going to do. You mentioned car insurance earlier. That's something that I'm, I'm, I personally and a lot of people, you get the prompt, you go on one of the comparison websites every time before renewal. So you're looking at doing that once a year. With a mortgage, I'm guessing that would be a little bit overkill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be, it would be, it would be. Um because not to mention you, you're going to be tied into a deal and then you would have early repayment charges. So it's at the time, it's whenever your deal expires. Well, generally, six months before your deal expires. So let's say you've got a fixed rate and it's coming up. For, well, so it's what, the 24th of September today. Um, and let's say that your deal expires on the, uh, let's say, the 28th of February. Um, then we would start looking now because actually what you can do with a remortgage, most lenders have um, mortgage offers that will last for up to six months. So we can actually apply for the remortgage, get everything done and dusted, and then just just set the date for the new mortgage to take effect from, for example, the 1st of March. And that's it done. It's done and dusted, you know? Um, So generally three to six months prior to your existing deal expiring is when ideally you should start having a chat with someone like me. It doesn't have to be me, but someone like me that's an independent mortgage advisor that's got access to the 
the the entirety of, of um, the mortgage market, um, and would then have a look and see what's what. Now, in terms of does it cost me to get someone to have a look at it? No. In terms of what information I need to determine is it going to be, you know, financially viable for someone, it's, it would take all of a fifteen-minute call. So, for example, the, the only information I really need is what do you think your home's worth, and then I'd have a quick check on Zoopla because actually Zoopla runs the, the figures on Zoopla run off something called HomeTrack. HomeTrack's a big uh, data analytics company that's that's bothered about property basically, and they have sophisticated, pretty sophisticated algorithms that run in the background that take um, right move data, that take a house price data, and they model it. Uh, and so the, the figures that you see on Zoopla tend not to be a million miles out. There's always the odd one that's a bit weird, but they tend not to be a million miles out. Um, so we'd have a look at Zoopla, see what that said in terms of, a, of an idea of what your home's worth. What do you think your home's worth? What's up for sale in the local area that's similar? And then we go, right, and how much is your current outstanding mortgage balance? Are you currently tied into a deal? Yes or no? That's going to be a very straightforward answer. And then it's a case of, right, I can plug those figures in, I can have a look at it, and I can say within about 15 seconds, yes, it's beneficial or no, it's not. It's not a difficult thing to, you know, I mean, there's other things to consider, of course, you know, are you earning the same money? Or are you earning more? You know, has something gone wrong in life that you need to fix? Or, you know, has your credit file had a had taken an impact because you forgot to pay a parking fine because you thought that, um you know, the, the parking fine company, unless it's the council, can't issue with the CCJ and all of a sudden you get slapped with the CCJ. <laughs> so there's the thing. You, you you often hear this kind of stuff um, banded around. Just as an aside, for example, where this where there's that whole thing of if you get a, a parking ticket from a private company, you can just disregard it. Please don't do that um, <laughs> because they can slap you with the CCJ. And once they do, you, you know, that that's going to stick on your credit file for six years. And even though it might only be for, for example, £150 or £180 or whatever it might be, um, that still would have a, a big impact. So don't please believe that the, the stuff where those companies can't actually pursue you at, at, a, at a county court level. They can. Um, anyway, so... Just one thing, generally, though, just on that part, I just wanted to ask about, because um, you've, you've talked a lot there about rates and things. When it comes to, from experience, when it comes to getting a loan... Often the repayment rate that's quoted. So I use one of the one of the high street banks, and we put in how much we wanted to borrow, and they told us what the monthly repayments would be. When we went into the branch to formalise it all, it was actually a lot more than that, and they said it's based on that um, the one that we show on the website is the best possible rate, but it's based on credit rating. Is that the same with a mortgage or with a mortgage no. credit rating is a simple case of yes or no. And then regardless of credit rating, everyone that's been given a yes is going to be, you know, in essence, it's that rate is that rate. There's no move, no room for maneuver. Yeah. So, so mortgage mortgages are governed by a, an entirely different set of, of rules and regulations set down by the financial conduct authority and, and lenders are governed by both the financial conduct authority and the prudential regulation authority. So there's actually two regulators that regulate this kind of stuff. There's the financial conduct authority that regulates um, the way that a, a lender behaves. And also they set down the qualifications and the rules that we have to act within. But then there's also a regulator, probably most people haven't heard of them called the prudential regulation authority. And they um, monitor the health of the economic system and make sure lenders are doing what they should be doing, et cetera. Um, so we are governed by a, a very different set of rules, more um, stricter 
rules. So what you've mentioned there is where a, a, a lending institution, whether it be a bank or a peer-to-peer lender or someone like that, they, they will advertise, yes, their headline deal, uh, but then it's dependent upon your credit worthiness. They only have to offer that deal, I believe, to 51% of borrowers. For, for it to be, you know, because it has to be the majority of people have to be eligible for it, which is 51%. Um, whereas with mortgages, it's a case of as long as you pass the, the credit referencing for that particular lender, then that is the deal. Yeah, that, that is the deal that you will get. There are a couple of lenders in the UK. They are they tend to be specialist lenders and they tend to be what are called bad credit or subprime or adverse credit lenders, where if you do an agreement in principle, it will tier you depending upon the severity of adverse credit you have. However, they're very specialist. Um, it's not the mainstream for 90% of, of the population at all in any way, shape or form. So there are a couple of lenders that do something similar. However, it's not it's not a rate just plucked out of the air. It's a case of, are you a tier one customer, a tier two, a tier three, a tier four? Depending on the severity of adverse credit, you may have. But we're not talking about you know a blip here. We're talking about... Um, CCJs, defaults, um, IVAs, um, you know, debt management plans, bankruptcies, significant things. We're not talking about, I missed the payment on a credit card once three years ago, you know? Um, so, so no, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. There was something I do want to ask you. Sorry, something I do want to ask you about is, uh, we see it all the time, don't we? On social media, this meme buying a house is, you know, we, I'm paying this amount in rent, but they they won't give me a mortgage for half of that and that sort of thing. Um, but you want to dispel this, this meme. Uh, we're getting into popular culture. Aren't we talking about memes? We'll be on about gifts next week. (laughs) Um, but I'm sure everybody listening will be aware of what we're talking about here. And, And I'm sure a lot of people have been in this situation where they're paying double in rent as just as an example figure, but they're paying twice as much rent as they would be a mortgage and yet the bank don't trust that they're about to pay it and they're sat there thinking well if i can afford to pay twice the mortgage amount what why can't you trust me just talk us through why that happens right okay so this is going to get a little bit controversial i suppose um right so here's the thing prior to um well call it prior to the financial crash of 2000 between 2007 and nine, when the mortgage market went into meltdown and the property market went into meltdown and the, the entire economic system looked as though it could potentially um, tip over. Now, that was because um, it, it started in, in America. It started falling in America, but because the way that economic systems and, and, and the such work, it quickly became infectious and started affecting lending institutions over here. So what happened in America is this. Lots of people took out mortgages where they hadn't been verified in terms of their income, in terms of their expenditure. Could they afford it? There were some mortgages in in, in the US called ninja mortgages. No income, no job. You could get a mortgage with no income and no job. It's mental to think of that now, but that's what happened. So, uh, And and to be be fair, on this side of the Atlantic, we had a similar type of thing. You had self-certification mortgages where you could say you could just self-certify as long as you got a, a, a deposit that was suitable for the lender. You could self-certify that you can afford this mortgage, or it could. So, so that so basically, what happened is lots of people decided to take out mortgages that they actually couldn't afford. Um, and when things went a bit peak tong, 
and the economy hit a bit of a uh, hit a bit of a um, a hurdle, then all of a sudden a lot of people found themselves either a in negative equity because they'd taken mortgages for one hundred and twenty five percent of the value of the home, they'd, they'd borrowed more than the home was worth, on the presumption that house prices could never ever fall, that housing could never fall. That was the presumption that everyone made. Housing is stable and all the rest of it. Well, that's true. But of course, there are only so many people with good enough jobs to and a good enough credit record to be able to afford those. Unfortunately, people that didn't have that income and all the rest of it were saving up big deposits and self-certifying and saying, yes, that's fine. Um, and I'm going to say, and, and, and another thing was that they were taking them on, on an interest-only basis, so they were never repaying the actual loan that they borrowed. They were just servicing the interest. Now, what happened then is, of course, the economy imploded. We had a huge financial crash, one of the largest on on record. Um, the economic system almost <laughs> literally crumbled, and we had to be all of us bailed out by quantitative easing and by the printing of bank. Uh, by the printing of currency of the Bank of England, the US Fed, the um, European Central Bank, uh, uh, to, to reflate the economy. Basically, the Bank of England is what's called as the lender of last resort. So all, all commercial banks or all banks in the UK have their bank account at the Bank of England. And it's the lender of last resort, basically the backstop. If things look like they're going to go peak tong, the Bank of England steps in and goes, whoa, right, we've got this. We've got plenty of gold reserves. We can print more money. We're going to basically print a load of money, give it to you, reflate the economic system so to make sure that it didn't tip over. Now, people kind of whinge about this and say, oh, well, you know, the banking system is too big to fail. And whilst that is true, it is too big to fail and, as taxpayers, we were on the hook for that. Nevertheless, if the banking system had have collapsed, we would have very quickly resorted back to the dark ages because, of course, if you can't get currency and you can't get money, then you can't buy goods and you can't access services. So it would have been really bad. It would have been really bad. Now, as a consequence of that, they went, right, what's caused this? And it was basically because people had been borrowing money on mortgages that they could never afford. And they'd just been saying that they could afford them. Now, Effectively, that's the reason why. So they, they then had, we had the mortgage market review and then, then the financial control authority went, right, we've got to regulate better how mortgages are accessed. And we've got to make sure that people are giving advice. We've got to make sure, and there was a huge amount of work done on how you determine someone's mortgage affordability, the amount that they can borrow against their income and their outgoings, the time of the term of the loan, and the, the general overall credit profile. There's a huge amount of work that went into that. Whereas prior to that, it was just taken on the basis that people walked in and said, I can afford this. I'm going to self-certify to say that I can afford this. Please lend me that money. And the lender went, yeah, you've got a deposit. Are you sure that you can afford this mortgage? Yes. Okay, then here's that mortgage. Now, of course, the problem is, is that when it all went Pete Tong, all these people that took out all this debt then started complaining and whining about it you know, I mean, it, it, it's hilarious to me personally that so so we're talking a couple of generations back that those generations tend to call not necessarily my generation, but certainly the younger generation to me snowflakes. Yeah, and I mean, I really hate that term personally. And yet, actually, it was all the ones that so it's like you know your parents' generation, my parents' generation, not my because I'm my Carlo, but you know that generation that basically came along and went oh. 
no one ever told me that this was in the script. No one ever told me that I wouldn't be able to afford this mortgage. And now you wanted to repossess my home or now you're saying that you want this loan paid back because it's the end of the 25 years and the total debt is still outstanding. They all started whinging and complaining about it. Now, what gets me about this is that it was it's a very snowflakey thing to do because I'm, I know what mortgage lenders are like. And I've never yet once seen a bank or a broker wandering around with a gun, putting it to someone's head, saying, you've got to take this loan. No one, no one forces people through a bank's doors and goes, you've got to buy a home, and we're going to give you as much money as you want, uh, and, you're, and we're going to force it on you. That doesn't happen. People take the choice of, they, well, they took the choice of wanting to do that, and then when it went peak tong, they started crying about it. And because they started crying about it, then what had to happen was the Financial Conduct Authority went, okay, well, clearly people can't be trusted to make the decisions and take responsibility for their actions, so we're going to have to regulate for that. That's why regulation exists, because some people spoil it for everyone else, yeah? So what happened then was we had to bring in all these affordability rules to be able to check, to stop people going, oh, my God, I can't afford this anymore. Well, we're not going to put you in that position. We're going to make sure that you absolutely aren't in that position. We're going to do a lot of checks, which is why... There's now so much regulatory burden around mortgages, why people like I exist um, to make sure that when it comes to getting a mortgage, it is, is absolutely affordable, that, that it stacks up on paper, that we stress test that to, to go, right, okay, if interest rates shoot up, is there enough spare capacity in this person's income and outgoings and their budget to be able to afford that if interest rates go up? So this whole thing of, you know, I'm paying double in rent and all the rest of it. Yes, you are. But this is here's the thing. If your rent shoot, well, rent tends not to shoot up like an interest rate. So, for example, if you run from an interest rate of X percent and then fly onto the standard variable rent and can't remortgage up to, and let's say interest rates shoot up to 6% and you can't afford it, then you could be repossessed. Now, lenders never want to get into that, that position because of the legalities around it and all the rest of it. So, if your rent jumps up, you're not, you know, you might have to move to a cheaper area. Um, but you're not going to be repossessed. And that's a big thing. It's a big legal thing. It has a huge impact on you for a long period of time. Uh, you know, if you've been repossessed previously, there are some lenders that just will never give you a mortgage ever again. You know, there's a lot of lenders that won't give you a mortgage for a minimum of six years from the date of repossession. And even then, they're going to want potentially a high, low, uh, a high deposit. So it has a massive impact on your life. So basically, the reason why banks say you must demonstrate to us affordability is because your parents generation wouldn't take responsibility for the choices that they made basically that's why it is it's not the banks that did it it's the people that wouldn't take responsibility for the finance that they took saying that they wanted it and then complained about it when it went wrong because people always think bad things won't happen we always prioritize and and, and kind of raise up the good side we always downplay the negatives people never want to look at the negatives because they always think it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. There's that whole. So here's a classic thing. You know, I see lots of people for mortgages. And of course, when I arrange a mortgage, I always talk about life assurance, critical illness cover, very important, income protection, those kind of things. And I'd say in general, 80 odd percent of my customers, sometimes higher, 80 odd percent of my customers have, uh, well, certainly 95% have life assurance. 80% will have life and critical illness cover. Um, and there's, you know, there's perhaps, you know, there's a percentage that don't have anything. Now, cancer research, a huge, 
huge um, research uh, and data-driven uh, charity that specialise in, in cancers and cancers alone. Everyone knows, everyone's heard of cancer research. So here's the statistic from cancer research. This is literally verbatim from their website. If you are born after the U- if you are born after 1960 in the UK, you have a one in two chance of being affected by cancer at some point in your life. That's statistical fact. One in two people born, one in two people listening to this that are over the age of, well, what's that? Fifty, I would say. Sixty-one. I think they're over the age of nineteen sixty. Yeah. Under the under the age of fifty. Sorry, under the age of fifty. So one in one in two people under the age of fifty. You know. So you, myself, you know, my friends, there's a one in two chance that we'll be affected by cancer at some point in in our lives. And everyone thinks it won't be me. Now, both my parents had cancer. My mum had uh, throat cancer. Um, My dad had uh, a very mild form of bladder cancer, which was relatively easily treated. I've got friends, young friends, that that have had cancer. You see it all the time, don't you? So, But people always, always downplay the negatives because people don't like to one think about their own mortality and two we like to block things out and and also there's this whole thing of you know psychologically you know perception you know what we see is all there is we don't we tend not to see the long term we tend we tend not to think about it. we're not very good at that which is why people have financial advisors to go actually you need to build into a pension um which is why you need a mortgage advice to reduce your your liabilities and your costs uh, so so that's basically the, the reason why, <laughs> bit of a tangent there, but that's the reason why you have to be able to prove affordability to a bank. Now, I know it, it stings and I know it seems unfair and I get that. However, we are in an, we are, we do live in a, in an of an age where people don't like personal responsibility anymore. Let's be honest. It's always someone else's fault. There's always someone else to, to blame. We live in a very litigious culture where people want to sue people all the time. You know, that's why. I have to be, when I'm doing my job, I have to be incredibly careful of how I do my job to make sure I give the right advice. And that's why in certain circumstances, so for example, take debt consolidation as a remortgage. There there are a multitude of compliance things I have to get signed off that I have to do prior to even thinking about consolidating debt. There's so much I have to do. And then after evidence that I've done, because in the event that someone comes back in in five years' time and goes, I want to make a claim against this person because they missold me this mortgage. You know, now that's the reason why I get everything signed. That's the reason why I write these suitability letters. That's the reason why I use debt consolidation calculators. That's the reason why I have to have my phone calls recorded. Because we live in an in and of an age where people won't accept personal responsibility. And that's even, sad. even on this podcast, of course, we, we have to put on the, the bit at the beginning saying that uh, you know the, the little disclaimer. Um, because it's, you know we we have to cover it exactly, exactly. So, so it is so effectively the reason why you have to do that, the reason why you have to um evidence affordability to, to the bank is not because they're being harsh. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily the bank's rules, it's actually the financial conduct authority that impose those rules on banks, it's not the banks themselves. It's the Financial Conduct Authority that imposed those rules. And the reason the Financial Conduct Authority imposed those rules is because people couldn't be trusted to take responsibility for their actions. That's the, And that's your parents' generation. So if people are listening to this, that's your parents' generation that did that. Lewis, thank you as always. That is about all we've got time for today. Um, have we, do we know what we're talking about next week? Have we got a sneak preview? Uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, what should we do the topic on next week? 
You, you, you pick one. Tell you what. You pick one. You pick one. Ooh. Ooh, now then. Put me on the spot here. Um, let's talk about... Let's uh, okay. Let's talk next week then about first because we've talked here a lot about we we, we start we talked there about the meme about why can't I buy a house when I'm paying so much more in in rent so that 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 makes sense to me. Let's talk then about first time buyer schemes. Okay, so ways that ways that first time buyers what what help is there for first time buyers to get on the on the property yeah. ladder? Yeah, because I've heard so many different schemes. I've heard about right to buy, help to buy, buy to let, all sorts of stuff. So let's let's talk yeah. about those next week. I think would be would be a good one. So Lewis, I'll let you get off and start prepping that. Thank you once again for joining us on the mortgage podcast, and uh, hopefully we've helped everybody out. Thank you for listening, and uh, if you've got any questions, you can of course get them across to us, and we will try and cover them in future podcasts. In the meantime, have a great day. All the best. Take care. Bye bye. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.